And this morning we uh, continue on with uh, the commandments. And we are in the sixth one already. We are in the, to the second table of the law that God gave us. This uh, command here today is actually made up of two Hebrew words. And they mean no murder. And in the Hebrew, that's the literal translation. I think in our English, we have four words. You shall not murder. Every culture, I think throughout history, almost every culture probably, would be in agreement with this law, whether they believe in a god, no god, or many gods. How could they not believe in this? Uh, it's, murder is universally condemned. And most people would say that murder is the worst act that anyone could do. Uh, they'll say that it's the most heinous of all the crimes to actually take one's life. And if one murders another, that murderer probably in his own mind is liable to do anything. And we all are. We're capable of doing some of the worst sins ever possible. Praise the Lord that we don't do heinous crimes. But you can imagine some of the gross sins that uh, can happen with people. And if they can do this, they can do anything, right? Um, People would say that murderer is the worst of, of all creatures, some would say. So in one sense, whether one believes in God or not, one would have to agree with this law that we should not murder. At least at this point. Even the people who don't want the Ten Commandments in state buildings, capital buildings and such, they would still be in agreement with with this law. Maybe not some of the other ones that we've talked about in the first five. But I think we have learned as we have gone through these commandments, maybe something we hadn't thought of before. There's much more to each one of these commands than a first appears on the table there. Uh, first, we like to think, hey, we're okay with this one. <laughs> you know, the other ones, wow, you know, when we went through uh, about taking God's name in vain, it meant much more than what maybe we thought or having no other gods before us. And uh, even uh, dealing with the Sabbath. And we go, well, okay, honoring the father and mother, okay, then I see what that means, authority, okay. But this one I've got down, at least God can't hang this one on me. (laughs) Been feeling really bad about all the other ones now, Dennis, and uh, we come to this one today, I'm going to feel a lot better. Well, if that's what you think... (laughs) We'll see. <laughs> at first look, we think we're okay, but um, we, as we look at the mirror intently, the, the law is the mirror, isn't it? When you, when you read the book of James, it talks about that. And when we look at that intently, we find that out of those first five commandments that we have studied, we see that, yeah, I guess we've broken those and we are convicted and we are found guilty. So you'd think, okay, I'm coming face to face with this. I've got to be okay on this one. How could this be stretched to anything else? Well, that thought would be wrong. Because we have failed miserably on this commandment. And if you hang with me long enough, we'll see why we have failed miserably. We need grace. 
We need mercy every day. His mercy is new every morning. Aren't you glad? Praise God. We fall short of God's law. We are imperfect. We know that. We thank the Lord Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law in every aspect. He was perfect. We break one. We break them all. It affects them all. All the commandments are linked together. When you just do one, all of them go. And of course, our nature is, is to break this. But Christ fulfills the law and then we are given the Holy Spirit become people of faith and He gives us the power to now do these things. And we still fail, but now at least we have the power to be able uh, to live the law of love. And the law of love is found in the Ten Commandments. The first table is love God. second table is love your neighbor. Wrap them all together and you've got those two great commands. Loving God. If we abide by that first table, then we will desire to love others in a biblical way. And that's how that word is defined, uh, a biblical way. The self-sacrificial type love and being able to give ourselves up for others. We would not want to do anything to hurt our neighbor, right? If we really loved God, why would we do anything that would cause harm to anybody, physically or mentally or spiritually? So we desire, as Christians, we know what we're told to do, and we do desire it. We know that we hit and miss on it. But we are here, not only to give glory to God, but one way to give glory to God is to promote the very well-being of others as we seek to love God. Love God, love others. Now, let's take a look to see what God has for us here in this uh, Sixth Commandment. And let's see if He can shape our heart a little bit more today as we delve into His Word. Every time you get into God's Word, there should be changes going on in your life. Spiritual life, it should be happening. Whether you're studying on your own, whether you're studying with a Bible study, whether you're at worship... It's not just to gain knowledge, but it's to take the knowledge, put it into our lives. And so we, uh, we pray that the Lord would uh, do that. I think this is a clear teaching. His, His Word is. His Scripture is clear. I may not be clear, may not be understandable, but His Word is. So uh, you have to forgive me where I fall short of delivering what needs to be brought forth. Let His Word speak. And um, let's, let's see how we are to relate to each other if we're to glorify God. So the command, and we look at, first of all, what does it forbid? And it definitely is forbidding something here. You shall not murder. That's, that's simple, just like they all are. They all just come straight out and say something. Well, as you look through uh, the rest of Exodus and then in Deuteronomy especially, you'll see a, uh, a clarifying of that, uh, getting down into details. And uh, that's what the law does. But it's made simple right here from the very outset, made so simple that anybody could memorize it. Understand that most Christians, they say, only know maybe three or four commandments that can, that can recite them. 
And I trust by now, we now have six we can recite as we have done these week by week, right? How is this commandment broken? How is it broken? Well, first of all, we're going to look at the obvious ones. And the first one is homicide. Murder is a personal attack, actually, upon the dignity of the Creator. We first, when we sin, we sin against God the Creator. Any kind of sin. And David said that in Psalm 51, uh, where he was saying, You and you alone have I sinned against, even though it involved other people. And David really was responsible for murder. And uh, then a year later, he confesses. But it, it personally attacked the Creator. The word murder is to kill unauthorized. I qualify the killing there because people have that mistaken and we will uh, touch on that shortly. Uh, Killing unauthorized or killing with malice. This one uh, I don't think really has a, a real bite to us in the sense that we're not going to murder. I don't think there's anybody in here that's going to go out and kill somebody. Now, you could be capable of doing that. And, and, and it could happen. I don't see that happening. You know. But the idea is here, how many murderers do you guys know personally? I mean, personally really know. I've got a feeling unless you've been in the prison system, you probably really don't know anybody personally. Now, a few of you have dealt with the prison system, have met some, talked to some, and you know. And you kind of have a feeling on that. A lot of us are so separate from this. We do hear it on the news. We hear it every day. When I was growing up and a kid, I didn't hear it so often. I was raised up in a town of 3,000. I don't... You know, if there'd be one in a year um, there at that time, it was it, that would be the, the biggest news of the decade. Uh, but there are murders that happen in that town now, and more than one a year. How many in Jeff City? How many in Columbia? Just in the central area here? A lot. You hear it all the time, and all the violent crimes. But I, I think because of that, sometimes we become a, um, a little bit calloused things, oh, there's, there's another murder going on, it's, oh, the world is terrible, and you move on, you know. But you just think about what has just happened. Somebody has violently done something and have attacked the very dignity of the Creator God by doing that. Murder in this country is, is at an all-time high. We know it's just getting worse. The figures are just, uh, just astounding. It's, uh, it amazes you how many murders there are. And in our surroundings, we, we know, we, we hear about that. We're not as shocked as we were. Heinous, a heinous sin. Alistair Begg said, uh, of course, he came from Scotland. And he said when he was growing up, and when he was probably somewhere around 10 years old, it was about in 1963. 1963, that's what, 46 years ago? 46 years ago. In his home country. Now, this is a whole nation now. Country of Scotland. Not as big as the United States, but it is a country, isn't it? Not a little city or anything. There were two murders. Two. 
count them, two in a country in Scotland. Whole year. Now, in our present time, just taking the example of Chicago. And Chicago is like any other city. Okay, New York, you could say Miami. But Chicago was, of course, you could probably get close uh, and put St. Louis, but Chicago is much bigger, so we use these figures. In Chicago, there are 18 murders a week. Did you think about that? 18 murders a week. And it might be more than that now. Um, let's say 21. Seven days in a week. That's three a day. Just in one area. Wow. That's terrible. Think about it though. That many lives have been taken in just one week? That's 80 a month? Why? Why are there so many murders? Well, let's first of all, let's look at how murder began. Let's go back to Genesis 4. After there has already been sin by Adam and Eve, and they have sons, Cain and Abel, and we're going to pick it up at verse 8. And this was uh, dealing with the offering that uh, Cain brought. And uh, it was not acceptable. Verse 8 says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. There's where we first see it. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And, the, and Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive than a vagabond on the earth and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. The family of Cain then is given to us we drop down into verse 23. Lamech has his wives. How many wives does he have? Well, they're from A to Z. Ada and Zillah. I do that every time. Hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. He's going to talk to him. Listen to me. He says, check this out. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. All of his boasting. What a sinful man came from the line of Cain. We have murder there. Go to Exodus 21, verse 12. And it gives us detailed laws based on this sixth commandment. 
He who strikes a man, 21.12, right? He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Right out of the fifth commandment. If men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. We won't comment on that today. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. He shall pay as the judge is determined. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. We can go on. But that is um, the idea of the eye for eye, two for two. Right out of God's law. If uh, one does harm to one. And we definitely get punishment. And not only punishment, death for somebody that kills somebody. God takes it really seriously. Very seriously. Well, what's the problem? Well, the issue is a personal God. Why are we having murders? in our own town, all across the world. Here in the United States, it's probably the worst per capita, I guess. Why is that happening? There's a personal God. God exists. God's not the problem. But He created each and everything. He gives meaning to His creation. He created man in His own image. And He reveals to man the pathway for him to understand him. He's not far from anyone, as it says in Acts. There's a distinction in God's creation. There's a distinction between animals, which is quite a creation, and man. In our society today, save the whales, save the whatever, you know, and they take them over humankind. These very same people are the ones that saying. Aboard if you want. You can do that. Man was, outside of the angels, is the highest of all of his creation. We're somewhat lower than the angels now, but we'll be higher than them. And that's how he puts us into quite the position God does. The problem is, is that man does not want to recognize a personal God. Because if he recognizes Him, then that means... He will have to give him allegiance. And he is authority. Man doesn't want authority. When we looked at the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, that's dealing with authority, isn't it? 
You look at the first command, it's dealing with authority. The commandments deal with authority and you have to obey the one who gives this out. So although He is the one who created man, man does not want to say, thank you for what you've given me. If He's Lord and God and the Creator, then we all owe Him allegiance. And we know that as Christians. But the world does not understand that. And that's where we come in with the world view. You see, the world view of mankind is this. And this is what is taught in the schools and this is what has become the basic great knowledge. The education of the day and people pay $100,000 or more to go to these schools to pay people to tell them that God doesn't exist. They don't know where they come from. That's the first thing. People don't know where they come from. All they can say is that it was all an accident. There's no personal God. They say there are gods, but He's not a God that's personal. Or gods that are personal. The second thing is they don't know who they are. They don't have a purpose. They really don't have a purpose outside of what they're doing here on earth for the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. No purpose. They don't know who they are. If you're a Christian, you know where you came from. You know who you are. You are in Christ. And thirdly, they don't know where they're going. Because if there's no beginning and you really have no purpose, everything is meaningless. And that's usually what the atheists do on their deathbed. They say all of life is meaningless. There is no meaning to it whatsoever. This is all a lie. It's horrid. It's terrible. And that's the view that most atheists take by the time they, if they are allowed to live a long time. If you don't know where you're going, you don't have a beginning, I mean, everything is hopeless. The world is hopeless out there. They put hope in the things that they can get. Get all your toys now, and that's where they're putting their life at. Get all the gusto that life offers, right? And that's what they're after. They're hostile to God. Why is there murder? Well, it's because they don't know a personal God. Life doesn't mean anything today. It's meaningless. Man can't choose to believe this personal God. That's, we, we know that. It's up to God to open them up. But man at least used to say there was some kind of creator. And now it seems like a huge percentage believe in evolution in some manner or form. And it's even gotten into the Christian realm. And they mix creation and evolution together in the millions of years that it took and all that bunk. But man doesn't know. We do know. Every one of us here that's a Christian, we know our worldview. We know where we came from. We've got a Creator God. Good place to start in it. I know who I am because I am in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm controlled by Him. He is the Sovereign One. And I know where I'm going. I know Christ is going to come back. And I know there, you know, things are a turmoil. But we have the answers. We have all the answers. And what we need to do is formulate all of these thoughts and recognize the fact that we have a personal God. And people out there do not have a personal God. He's impersonal. 
creation, the force, whatever it is to them, whatever they might call it, is if they don't believe in this God, they believe in an impersonal being at best. Life has no meaning. Life is absurd. It would be, wouldn't it? If you didn't know those three basic things, those are so basic, but so foreign to the rest of the world. You are an alien with those kind of thoughts. Isn't that amazing? The absurdity of life without God leads to a tragic destruction. And some of them manifest that in taking the lies of other people. That's how they manifest. They don't have a personal God. They don't really know this personal God. Murder is one of the sad results when one breaks the link of the Creator and His creation. When they don't see that link that there's a Creator. What an affront to God when one takes a a life that God created. And to some people, that person is a piece of trash. You know, they don't deserve to be in this world. And God created that person. Regardless of how they look, how they act, how they smell, what they've done to you, God created that person. So what we have to do is try to dismantle those high, lofty speculations that they have, those fortresses that they have built, and start chopping it down. They have these ideas of who God is or what what they're going to do in eternal life and float around out there. They're going to be a God or who knows what they got. We just die and then that's it. You know, that's, that's the easiest way out. As soon as I die, I'm out of here. Life means nothing. Wow. We can offer the hope. Remember this morning we started with that word hope? We have it. We always have the hope. It's a true hope, something we are founded upon. We understand totally. We can offer that hope by the truth of our world view. Start with the Creator God. And, uh, you know, that, that Big Bang, in a sense, they're right. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know where I'm leading to that. Yeah, God spoke and was created in, in a moment of time, in a split moment of time. God did that. He is the Big Bang, isn't He? We know that. And that's where we have to hit because we know that the generation that's right underneath us and the generations underneath them are being taught something totally different in our school system. Through the news. Everywhere you look, that's what you hear. You go and take a vacation. If you don't go to a Christian place that believes in creation, if it has something to do with history, guess what they're going to do? They're going to bring out something that uh, was here billions of years ago. So it makes way that we got here by accident. The gospel brings life to the dead. And that's where you want to get them to. You want to get them to what the good news is. They need to know that there is a Creator who has authority that has made commands and start using these commands on people. Here's what God demands from everybody. Oh, do you love God with your whole heart, mind, soul today? Have you, have you given every ounce of your strength to God today? Just ask them that. Ask them if they've ever lied. 
Ask them if they've ever stolen anything at all. You break one, you break them all. All of a sudden, they start having a different view, maybe. Well, maybe I did. Well, have you broken God's law? Well, yeah. Well, then you're a lawbreaker. You're a liar. You're a thief. (laughs) You're an adulterer. You, know, you can go right on down the list and say, what right can you do you have to stand before a holy God? Why, why did you say you thought you'd get into heaven whenever you've broken that? Why, why should He allow you in? And if they can break down, at least see that, then you can start showing God's grace. Well, that's one. There's another one called, that, that's homicide. How about genocide? That word is interesting. Uh, it just came about, really, it was a word invented in the 20th century. And we're in the 21st century now, aren't we? Hard to believe, but the 20th century. Murder was accomplished on a massive scale where millions of people were killed in one single country, and that not even being war. Four human beings killed 175 million people. Just four men. They were Lenin, Russia, Stalin of Russia, Hitler, and Mao Zedong. Close to 200 million people. Almost the population of the United States in a few amount of years if you add them all together. Cambodia, you know, the killing fields, and the slaughters of uh, Rwanda, the Sudan, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people being slaughtered and killed. So that's why new words had to be coined, such as genocide. This kind of murder never existed before the 20th century, where there were literally millions. And millions and millions of people slaughtered. We know of Hitler's six million. Never, as far as numbers are concerned, did that ever happen in man's history where they killed their own like that. These are their own people in their own country. How wicked is man? It's being exposed and manifested before our eyes as we live in one of, I think, the most important times of history. They're all important. The next one is suicide. Suicide, we know what that is. That's selfishness. That is the manifestation of the ultimate prideful arrogance of man. Because he's thinking all about himself and how futile it is. People do not have the right to take themselves away from other people from their family, from the place where they work at, all their relations. They don't have the right to take themselves away. They think they're the masters of their own destiny. And if one wasn't a believer and they did that, they'd immediately find out what this is about. That'd be sad. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. People thinking they're getting out of this situation. And we have the answers.
People are looking for answers. They don't know what they're looking for. And when you give them the answer, a lot of times they don't like it. But they need to hear. Here's what God says about life that He has created. Behold, all souls are Mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is Mine. The soul who sins shall die. You sin against Me. I'll take your life. I can do that. God owns all souls. Everybody belongs to Him. That doesn't say everybody's going to heaven to be with Him, but all are created by Him. I want you to keep that in mind as we go further and develop this and go a little bit, hopefully stronger, into what this is saying. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord kills, makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. God's in control of everything. He's the one who takes the lives. He has the very day when your life will be taken by Him. Just like He had the very day that He gave you life. We're just here for a little while. That's how much He is in control. Do you like a God like that? Christians do. You tell that to somebody who hates God, they could probably get very angry because they know there's a God out there. They know a God exists. It says in Romans 1. What they do is they just kind of put it out of their mind what foolishness it is. Suicide... You think of Kevorkian? He enabled people to kill themselves comfortably. A comfortable killing. What a great man he was, huh? Assisted people, and a lot of people felt very sentimental for him because, oh, they just, you know, they have a really hard life and they're not, they're not happy. And, um, hey, by the way, they, they some people have cancer and. He can, he can take them out and, and do it in a less painful way. With no pain. You know that most of the people, or a lot of the people that he assisted were in their 40s and 50s? We're not talking elderly people very much here, like in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or 100. We're talking young, still young, midlife. Probably had a lot of years left. No, this is what is called an accepted alternative in our times. This is the alternative to life. This is an accepted thing. It's not law yet. But there are many who want to put this into law that it would be okay to do. Not acceptable to do. It's it's becoming more on the rise and we're hearing more and more of suicide. I mean, we're talking all ages. From anywhere from elementary school through high school. Oh, how often that happens. All the way on up through any age. This is sad. People who commit suicide are actually hostile to God. Another one is called abortion. Fourth one here. We all know 
that it's illegal to kill children. There's nobody here in the United States would would say, at least um, up front, and, and be an official uh, person in the government that would say it's it's a it's okay to kill children. At least for now. <laughs> Later on, I have to wonder. Is that where we're getting to be? But we know there are many people that say, yeah, but as long as that baby is in the womb, and they won't say baby, what do they call it? Fetus tissue. So it's open game. And for whoever doesn't want it, can do that. Tens of millions, what is it, uh, 45 million now? 45 million in our own country. God says that fetus, uh, that, that fetus that they call fetus is a human being from the very moment of conception. And we all know that. Here, we're, we're speaking to the choir here again. You know, don't have to really hit this hard, but they're, they're trying to dig the lie into your mind. You hear it over and over and over and over. And it got passed in our law system to kill these little babies. Psalm 139. Everybody knows this, but if you don't, it's it's a great one to know. This is about God here. See, it's all about God. It's all about a personal God. A God who sees us as personal. In Psalm 139, verse 13, everybody knows this verse, For you formed my inward parts. This is what David wrote. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at all the technology that we have today to see how we are really made. It is just amazing. It's indescribable. How great is our God. Those videos that are done by uh, Louis Giglio. He goes into the, the human. It shows you know dealing with the cell. That cell is unbelievable what God made there. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Great sovereignty of God right there, isn't it? He already had it all mapped out even before we were ever even born. What a beautiful passage. God is the one who gives life. He knows very well that person who has that life. He knows every part of us. knows every nth degree of the self. And those who are involved with abortions are hostile to God. The abortion debate goes on today. You have all the slogans. You have the bumper stickers. You've seen them. And you know, if you're a Christian, when you see a Christian bumper sticker, you go, yeah. Eh, that's okay. I'm not ramming up those bumper stickers. I mean, it, it gives people a, a thought sometimes. But this debate should not be on slogans or signs, bumper stickers, the debate should be on principles. The principles that come from God's truth. Principles are the foundation. So, 
our worldview that we have has to dialogue with the pro-choice people. We need to dialogue with them. We need to talk with them and see how they arrived at such a terrible conclusion. Where did they get that? There's a bumper sticker that a young couple had that were in their 20s. And on the back of their card said, Pro-family, pro-kids, pro-choice. You get that? Pro-family, pro-kids. You go, yeah, yeah. Pro-choice. Yeah, if you want the kids, if you want the family, yeah, yeah, we're pro-family, we're pro-kids. Matter of fact, we're, you know, we're pro-life. But we're pro-choice too. Whatever works. Why did they do that? Why do they have that? Well, their view of the world is what underpins their whole thinking. And you know when you see that, you know that they really don't believe in the same personal God that you do. If they take that view. Their view of the world is based upon their own opinions and what people have told them. Not God's truth. What do we need to do? We need to dismantle those thoughts, that high, lofty speculation, a fortress that they have made, and start banging away. Because that's what most of the world out there believes. Some of those people are chosen. We need to go there to give them the truth. God will use whatever way it takes. Don't be afraid to engage with this people. Ask them, how did they arrive at that? Where did they get that idea? And then start banging away with truth. Engage. You don't have to yell. We don't have to shout. We need to tell the truth in our worldview. We have science on our side. Look what technology does. You know, and this has been around since the 70s where you can go in and uh, you go to the doctor and all of a sudden you see this baby in there on a screen. And he's in there showing you what, what he is, what he's doing. And How old is the baby at that time? I bet you Penny knows. What? Six? Yeah. Very, very young. We have that on our side. They still may not want to hear it. Matter of fact, when you show people that, they get highly offended. I've even heard of people actually sent to jail because they showed somebody that. Showed a public screening or whatever of what happens, you know, when abortion happens. But science and technology are actually witnesses against abortion. They show the light. They didn't used to have that. Camera, video footage, babies in the womb. How ironic. The very same people who use those machines are the very same ones who are killing them. Now, we go to B. Are we still on number one? B. It doesn't forbid all killing. Because some people will take this verse that thou shalt not kill. And what they'll do with that is say, we'll say there never should be any kind of killing whatsoever. As far as capital punishment is concerned. As far as killing animals. You know, all those people out in Hollywood, you know, and if anybody dares wear uh, a mink coat or something like that, a fur coat, anything coming from an animal skin, well, you killed an animal to do that. Sounds like Hinduism to me, doesn't it? 
can't kill animals. You don't eat meat. You don't use those animals. So, is there such a thing as God-authorized killing? Yes, there is. Some people would say that um, this it's biblically correct to actually have capital punishment. Would you believe in that? Well, I do. Because we read some of it in Exodus 21. According to God's Word, it is capital punishment is ordered by God to make the severity of murder clear and understood. If one takes another life, he says that life has to be taken. Well, they can say, yeah, but God fearfully and wonderfully made them. Why should their life go? Well, because they took another life. And it's showing to everybody that that is a terrible thing to do. And it was set forth in a principle all the way back in Genesis. Back to Genesis we go. Chapter 9, verse 6. And it's in a covenant that God made with Noah. And it says in verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God made him. And he says, if somebody takes a life, that life has to be taken. Exodus 21.12, we read that earlier. Romans 13.4, it talks about the government. The government's sword. And that's talking about... Uh, government not only just having like a gun or a, a weapon, uh, but it has to be used. It says in verse 4, For He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain. For He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on Him who practices evil. So there will be punishment and according to... Uh, uh, Exodus, Genesis, because man takes a life, then that life has to be taken. That's capital punishment. What about war? Yeah, God sanctions war. Man is sinful. Um, because of sinful mankind, there are nations that have to be taken out. God had even commanded His own people to war against evil nations. Wipe every one of them out. Man, woman, and child. That does not sound like a loving God to me. That's what many people will say to you. They don't like that God. That's why so many times they'll say, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I don't believe in Him, but I do believe the God in the New Testament. And then you can go and show what the New Testament says that says the same thing about this God in the Old Testament. Um, Exodus 17.14 The Amalekites, remember them? The uh, Israelites have uh, warred against them on, out in the wilderness. 17.14 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. That, everybody's going to remember this. That I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now they did exist for years and years and years. And it took time. And there were wars against them and all the way up to uh, Solomon and David. And eventually they were wiped out. God said that's what's going to happen. And He did. That nation was gone. Uh, in First um, Samuel fifteen three, we know as as he sent Israel into the promised land, they were to take out all those nations. Then in First Samuel fifteen three, it says, "Now go and attack Amalek." This is where Saul Saul was. Involved here, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, 
but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, even the animals. This is God's command. That is hard to understand. But that is a holy God. We all need to be wiped out. And it shows you His, His election that He can do. And He does do. But because of sin, He has to wipe out nations at times. There's, there's another thing that you have uh, dealing with uh, where it's God's sanction and it's self-defense. If one were to attack you and you're protecting your family and protecting yourself, there is sanction for that too. Somebody's going to kill you. You have an opportunity to keep them from doing that. Okay, now we need to extend upon this command. We've been talking about literally the killing of another person. Let's see what the New Testament says about this. Jesus has a comment. And it's found in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5. Jesus makes clear. He doesn't add anything to the law here. He just tells what it really meant when it, when it said that. And there's no distance between us and this commandment. I say, well, I never murdered anybody. I never have. I, I never plan on that at all. I can't see that. Well, Jesus helps us understand we are connected with this. There's not distance here between us. How, how difficult it is to have our hands clean of murder. So what, what, what do you mean, Dennis? We think we're perfectly innocent on this, don't we? We think we're innocent. There's a thing that Alistair Begg calls hidden murder. Here we go. 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to you, those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. You've heard that. And he's not saying that that was wrong. He's agreeing with it. But he says, But I say to you, here's the meaning of that, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. What happens here is that we see that being angry with a brother is equal to murder. That's just what Jesus has said. If you're angry with your brother for no reason, you're on the same trip that a murderer is. That's hard to imagine. Hatred and anger always are way too close to us. How close can we be with anger? All of us are. We've all been angry. That is not too far from us, is it? The heart is the issue here. And that's where Jesus really aimed at because He knew none of the Pharisees and the Jewish people that were religious went out and killed people. And so he gets down to the heart of the matter. The very bottom of all this. One can go from irritation to anger to hatred to yes, 
physical murder. And all it started with was a little irritation. That's what Jesus is talking about. The internal attitude is what the law prohibits. That's what it really comes down to. Abusive insults to people is the same kind of moral guilt as an act of murder. That's the way it is in Jesus' eyes. Is that heavy? That's just what Jesus is saying here. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're in danger of the judgment. Hellfire judgment. That's how serious this is. And you can say, well, what is raka? What is that word raka? (laughs) It means empty head. You call somebody ignorant. How about an idiot? Woo! You dog brain. (laughs) Ever heard of that? A nobody, a fool, a moron. Oh boy, when we drive down the road, there sure are a lot of people that would qualify for turning those words out there. Oh, how many times have we said those words when somebody has done something like that to us? Oh, our hearts know murder. According to Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said this. Don't get mad at Dennis. Dennis knows murder. My heart knows murder. I've never even thought about killing a person. Never, ever. I think probably every one of you would probably be in the same one. Maybe pretty close. (laughs) But I mean, seriously, the moment we think ill of someone, this is getting really... Deep, I know. The moment we think ill of someone, raka, we are guilty. This is where the law strikes us right in the face. Some people would say, that idiot, I just wished he would die, I wish he'd go away. They're just as guilty as someone who took a gun and shot somebody in the face as far as God is concerned. Now, by the state, they're not, of course. I'm glad they don't haul us away because we might use a a word in our minds. There is a thought police going on today. But it's not that kind of thought. Not the thoughts that are in our hearts. really. Sin is sin. And that's where it really hits all of us. We're not far from this commandment, are we? From disobeying it. We put people down. We have hurtful words. We're guilty. We are guilty. We may think we're better than that murderer, but the moment we have done one of those, said one of those words, thought ill of somebody, we have just been put on the same level as one who did cold-blooded murder. Danger. You're in danger of the council. You're in danger of the judgment. You're in danger of hellfire. Now, if you're a Christian, we know that we don't have hellfire waiting for us. You don't lose your salvation. But that's how serious that Christ brings it forth here. It's attitudes. One might say, oh, you know, I can't even imagine having an abortion. I've never had a murderous thought. Well, have you ever been offended by someone 
and thought it would be good if you never saw them again. <laughs> Has that ever happened? You ever wish that somebody would die and just go away? Those are the kind of attitudes that, uh, that really bother God. It's not just the act of murder, but it's thoughtful. It's, uh, it's, it's dealing with our thoughts. Hurtful attitudes on them. And it may not ever even be spoken out of our mouths. And God is the only one who knew that you were thinking of that. Look in 1 John 3.15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John, black and white, it's wrong, right? You know, he makes it real simple, really clear. But he's saying here, if if this is an ongoing thing in your life and you hate people, you're a murderer. It's a pretty serious thought there. And in Matthew 18, if one makes somebody stumble, or 6 and 7, as he's talking about little children here, it says in verse 6, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Anybody that causes an offense to somebody else, that is a woeful thing. And, um, of course, there he talks about punishment. Now, we're going into the severity of it, but it should make us sting a little bit when we hear this command. We've had bad thoughts and we've had animosity. We've had malice. We've had hostility. We fall into gossip. Did you know the moment that you were into gossip, you have just murdered somebody? You've killed some person. Our thoughts, our attitudes are as foul as murder. I'm thankful for the grace of God. But I don't want to have these thoughts and attitudes. I don't want this slander. I don't want to assassinate other people by my words anymore. Talking about people behind their back. How simple it is to fall into breaking this commandment. Thou shalt not murder. And Jesus explained it. It's an inner thing. Who killed Christ? According to Acts 2.23, it was God's plan. But yet there are people who are held responsible. Speaking about Christ, verse 23, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up to death. It was God's plan, but you did it. This was God's predetermined plan and His foreknowledge, but you did that. You have the Romans, you have the Jews, you have Judas, the priests, Sadducees, the Pharisees, go on and on, and it comes down to even us today because Christ died on the cross and that was God's plan. We killed Him too, in a sense, didn't we? Because our sins highly offended the Father and He had to send His Son to impute the righteousness to us that would take effect. 
right at the cross and took our punishment. If we've spoken sarcastically of somebody or belittled them or become angry at someone for no reason, it's murder whether the act is done or not. Now, one last thing here, the third one. It's the positive side of all this. This has been negative, hasn't it? Don't murder. Do not do this, right? Now we get the positive. We're to do the opposite of murder. And everybody knows these things. We're to do everything we can to preserve our own lives and the lives of everyone. And we are not to neglect our health and our own lives. We're to value the very sanctity of life. We are to oppose abortion. We are to oppose euthanasia and murder. In Romans 13, 9 and 10, it talks about the law of love. The whole law is really about the love of God. You say, how can I see the love of God whenever He says capital punishment and take all those nations out and they're you know, in the law? The law of God, because they offended the very law of God. They very much offended the holiness of God. When it says that we are to lay down our lives for others, we're to esteem others more than ourselves in Philippians. 1 John 3.16 says that we are to give up ourselves for others. We should reverse the curse and do the opposite of murder. We should always have the desire of the well-being of others. Are we watching out for others? Are we praying for others? Are we building them up? Are they building us up? Now we might be saying, okay, I thought this was at least one commandment that I thought I kept. Oh man, I'm, I'm in real trouble now. I can't keep any of them. And that's where we need to be. We need to realize we come here not being able to keep God's commandments. We are promise breakers. We are command breakers. We are guilty of breaking the whole law. The law does its purpose when we realize that we're not accepted because of our goodness. I can't go before God and claim goodness before Him because I realize the law just told me I'm not in myself. But I am good by God's grace. Surely His grace, 100%. That's what we want to be reminded of when we come to church, that we have God's grace. So when you walk out of here, even if God's words convict us, you say, but oh, the grace of God. Jesus Christ, look what He did. Sixth commandment, I think it brings guilt to us all. It hits every one of us. There's only one remedy. We see when we're guilty of breaking the whole law, we are at our very point of begging for mercy. We realize that. We confess our sin. We see our need. And we can see the answer is through Jesus Christ. Our worldview is Him. One last thing. The sixth commandment points us to reverence life itself because of the Creator. That person that causes you so much grief God still yet created that person. He expects you to be a level above the kind of person you used to be that wanted to get back to that person (laughs) and get an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. It's different now. You have the grace and the mercy and the love given to you to defeat that kind of stuff when the worldly person or even a Christian has offended you.
It points us to the need, our desperate need for the grace and mercy of God shown us in Jesus Christ. He bore in Himself the malice and the hatred and the murderous intention of humanity and each and every one of us. He bore those sins. He gave His life for the sinners that He died for. He shed His blood for the remission of our sin. Let's pray.